walking up this one hill was my nemesis. I had difficulty breathing. I had pain in my leg. I lost my sense of taste and my sense of smell. Brain fog, fatigue, headaches. Because on COVID can have up to 50 symptoms associated with it, there is a lot of confusion about what is long COVID. Not every veteran will see all of the providers, but many of the providers collaborate together in order to create a personalized health plan with the veteran and for the veteran. I am extremely thankful to the VA they help create a roadmap for me. If I use the starting point of once I release from the hospital, I feel tremendously better. I have about a 70% improvement. I'm still feeling some symptoms, but I'm a lot better than when I was initially diagnosed. And that's the good news. It does get better. Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm your host. My name is Travis. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubazoo Network. You can find out more on hubazoo.com. I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce Asek of Asek Real Estate, Army National Guard veteran Mark Holmes of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, all veteran-owned businesses, Kason Shaving Company, Black Cat Designs, and Savage American Woodwork. And speaking of another veteran-owned business, a couple of years ago, I'm going through the gram, and I see some confectionery. I see some fudge made by this individual named Aaron Hale, you know, veteran himself, Purple Heart veteran. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm there. I'm going to try it out. There was like a discount code, Aaron. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing, and I get the fudge, and I am like, wow. I said it backwards, Aaron. I said wow backwards. And then we, we got connected. We have had some, some interesting ups and downs getting on this, but we're here now. We're fully in flight. Aaron Hale of EOD Fudge, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, it was great. It, it was really cool to get some of the backstory uh, of how EOD Fudge came to be and then to actually have the fudge, in which, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't had it, you should get it. So for those who are you know, meeting you for the first time, kind of, kind of tell us about your military history and how you, you got to create uh, EOD Fudge. Well, um, you know, it, it, it's pretty funny. We just experienced before, you know, finally connecting here, uh, some of the technical issues that come with being uh, completely blind and completely deaf and listening to the world through this cochlear one cochlear implant which is not a uh, hearing aid it's uh it, it my ears are completely turned off and my wow. eyes are are prosthetics and it takes it's like like a hearing aid it takes sound in through the microphones but it doesn't amplify it through the ear canal it actually turns into a digital signal that is magnet magnetized and then sends that into the cochlea where there's a, uh, an electrode and actually sends that digital signal right into the auditory nerve, okay? So all that being said, today's uh, you know, medical science and uh, uh, the advancement in technology are absolutely amazing. 50 years ago, I've been pulling the whole full Helen Keller, uh, but now 
I'm, this is going on. It's Bluetooth connected to both my phone and my computer. And I'm able to talk to you over the internet. And it's uh, amazing. It's also 101 ways I can just screw something up. But uh, to answer your question, um, I started, I actually joined the Navy in uh, 1999. And at the time, I'd absolutely known my whole life until about a month before enlisting that I'd never be in the military. <laughs> uh, it wasn't in the plans, but then I didn't have much ambition for really anything. Uh, I, I had a, a pretty cozy, uh, comfortable childhood upbringing um, and loved, loved my life, but I went to college and didn't have a whole lot of ambition and didn't get very far. So I decided I needed to change. I needed to make a change, change myself, change my path. And that's when I looked to the military to give me those internal, you know, the more selfish uh, necessities, you know, GI Bill, um, work ethic, and all that kind of stuff. And I figured I'd do four years, get out, get that GI Bill, and go to culinary school because I loved to cook. You know, where, 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 where did that, no, wait, wait, hold on. Where did that love for cooking come into your life, Aaron? You know, my family, especially my my mother's side, are really talented artists, sculptors, painters. Uh, my my mom, incredible sketch and paint artist. My brother as well. However. Uh, well, I actually showed a little bit of talent in, in the visual arts. I really loved sh food as an art, culinary art, you know, because I also love to eat. But it was one of those things that I could be creative. I could experiment with different flavors and textures and, and cuisines and, you know, cultures and all of that. And then I could share it with others, put smiles on their faces. I, it just lit me up to share that joy. So uh, I had I, I no uh, preconceptions or I, did, I, did, I, did, I knew that me being a cook in the Navy wasn't going to be um, Wolfgang Puck type stuff, but <laughs> Uh, as it turned out, uh, I actually had a, a chance to do some pretty pretty creative cooking. The only thing was that once I left you know, the, the, the Navy's cooking school and, and after basic training, I got stationed in Naples, Italy. And well, they, what they don't tell you is that it's the, the culinary specialist, CDS, was... Uh, they look at it like hotel restaurant management. And I I had a billet that was the hotel side. I ended up being a, a, a late night, you know, the night desk clerk at the barracks. <laughs> uh, so that was my first year, two years in Italy. But when I hung up the uniform and went out into the economy and, and I was in Italy, it was amazing. You know, the Mount Vesuvius was right out my front door. That was the first thing I saw uh, in the morning. And I, the, the food, the, the you know, coffee, it was amazing. And I spent two years doing that. I did some um, off 
uh, off hours, after hours, cooking for receptions and parties for the the, you know, the base commander, that kind of stuff. And when it was time to PCS, I actually got a uh, station just 45 minutes away aboard the USS LaSalle cooking for the commander of the Sixth Fleet. And I actually uh, got to do some, some really honest-to-goodness um, cooking. And I spent four years in Italy uh, just learning Italian cuisine, cooking for most of it, and getting to be um, creative with that that art. Now, spe speaking this... of speaking of Italian cuisine, it, it's it's not like American Italian cuisine, right? Because I've worked with I have some Italian coworkers from Italy, and what we consider good food, they 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 really are like, what's this? Well, you're absolutely right. But the first misconception is that there's one Italian cuisine. Really? You know, it, Italy itself is younger than the United States. Uh, they only unified the city-states and the regions in, I think it was the 1850s. Oh. Uh, so everywhere you go, every region you go from down in Sicily up to... Milan, you're going to have all sorts of different cuisines. You don't you don't go to Florence for a pizza because that Naples is the birthplace of the pizza. And, you know, that, that's if you ever recognize some of the, 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 the names of these pastas that you get, Bolognese, that's from the city of Bologna. So... They all the different regions have their different styles of cooking, but it one thing I did find in general is that it's simplicity and it's freshness of their their um, ingredients. We don't they don't they don't have as much of the processed and and packaged foods that we have in the United States. Uh, so everything has to be fresh and for good reason too. So you do all that and do you, do you start to develop your, because every, every chef, every cook that I, that's really proficient has their own style or their own signature dish. Did you start developing that during that time? It definitely had a huge influence on me. Um, but I, I don't know if I, my style is more of just a conglomeration of everything I could get, get my mind around and everything I could learn. I loved trying all sorts of new things. And I'm not sure if I have one, one particular style. Okay. All right. So you're doing all this. What happens in your Navy career as you're going through this other part of your own self-discovery? Well, what also happened as I was learning to love Italy was I was learning to love the Navy and service. So I was, um, I was, I was gaining the work ethic and I was, I was, I had, a, had goals and ambitions and I was becoming, I was getting promoted before I was comfortable. I, I liked the, the higher pay grades but I never felt as though I was ready to take on that that next mantle of responsibility. 
but the Navy did and my my seniors, my peers did. And that was a that was a good lesson is that if I'm if I'm comfortable, then I'm not growing and I'm not advancing. And that was a, it was a really good lesson I learned back then is that I should take on difficult roles and the Navy forced me to pretty much. And then I'd better fill those shoes. I better learn how to be that next rank or, you know, that NCO. But also what was happening, I joined in a time of peace and all of a sudden I found myself uh, in a time of war. Actually, we were in war with two different, you know, two different yeah, fronts. Yeah. So I, not only did I fall in love with the Navy and service, but I also, uh, I felt a pull, a calling to do more than just cooking. I, I wanted to uh, be a more, more of a service to the service and to my country and to the, the, the efforts. And I, I knew that I had uh, greater talents than just the, you know, the culinary creativity and it could be, could be better used. So what was the next step in your naval career when you came to that realization that you wanted to be different? Well, I first volunteered to deploy to Afghanistan, but as a Navy cook, I would be cooking. I went from uh, cooking for the Admiral and his top staff to cooking a Army DFAC in Farah, Afghanistan. Oh, wow. For three, four, five, six hundred ISAF troops. So U.S., Spanish, Portuguese, and a couple of platoons of Italian special forces. So I got to practice the lingo I'd learned in Italy, out in the middle of Western uh, Afghanistan. I, I was, was also... told I was told Aaron that the Italians had the best MREs out of all the services. Like guys continually tell me, I thought the British had it pretty good. They're like, no, the Italians know how to eat on the go. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely not. Um, they, everybody, everybody clamors over our MREs. Uh, really? In, in fact, I found out that that was the best black market uh, uh, item you could barter for are the MREs. Um, and for some reason, the army logistics, uh, you know, the officer sent me pallets upon pallets of MREs because they didn't want the because they were afraid um afraid that the, the uh, jingle trucks would get snowed out like the, tr the the during the winter but we were in the western desert the lowlands and so it didn't make any sense we weren't up in the Hindu Kush or anything get snowed out but they were sending memories to everybody just to make sure so i had this the football field <laughs> full of pallets of mres and um yes i would barter for the italians mres but because i found out that a certain module a certain uh, package of them actually came with a little bottle of a little cordial a little aperitif uh 
and came a little little tiny bottle of booze probably half the small half the size of an airplane you know yeah yeah nip and so i thought that was neat i got a trade of uh, mre and also you know the i mean um you get you get it was a, it was a small cozy base there wasn't a whole lot of you know, people and everybody you know kind of you know you wanted to get you know work together and i uh, loved hanging out with these guys they would go go up to herat every couple of weeks come back down with just gorilla boxes full of uh wheels of cheese and and prosciutto like legs of ham and uh and those little um uh what are they the the, the, the vacuum packed uh packages of espresso grounds oh man so mm. And of course I would like, you know, what can I do to help you out? And so why can I have my morning espresso? Um, but no, the rest of the MREs weren't weren't impressive. No. So so you're you're a cook for all this time and then you you transition like a lot of us do in the military to a different job field in EOD. And you know, we don't have to go into everything about that, but I, I am curious how you you know, you did go, what was the transition like going from a service MOS to a true, you know, war fighting combat related MOS? It was on that deployment that I met some EOD techs for the first time. And I learned all about what the job entailed, the tight knit brotherhood, uh, that, that um, it's almost like a tribe within the military tribe. And the fact that it's a, technical technically challenging as well as physically challenging job and they're they're first responders on the battlefields they're the ones that handle all everything that goes boom everything that explodes from bullets to weapons of mass destruction and nuclear bombs everything and it just clicked that's what i knew i needed to do uh, so the transition was it was actually uh, a bit difficult for one. Um, I guess the Navy uh, liked my cooking too much because they, I put in a request to go Navy EOD and they said no, it was denied. Uh, and uh, when my deployment to Afghanistan was up, my contract was actually coming to an end. And I had this decision to make. I was either going to stay a cook in the Navy, and I I absolutely did love being a sailor, but um, I definitely knew that I wanted to transition. And uh, I took I took my, uh, my 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 service record. I walked over to the uh, Army recruiter. I said I want to go EOD. And the only question was, did I want to get the bonus or keep my rank? <laughs> I said, can I do both? <laughs> they just laughed. But uh, uh, before I knew it, I was being promoted anyways. And this time I was in a different uniform and doing a different job. Yeah, so the transition from being a cook to an EOD tech wasn't all that difficult except the the, uh, the school is itself 
you know, very demanding, uh, very intensive, not uh, highly knowledge based. Uh, and there's a very large, there's a very high attrition rate just because the testing is so rigorous. Uh, funny thing was, though, the transition from sailor to soldier um, it was kind of funny because before I went to the, the Navy or the, the EOD school, they sent me to this warrior transition course, which is a kind of a pro pilot program for them. It was like a gentleman's version of basic training, all of the uh, uh, technical aspects of it without the indoctrination. And so I didn't get the Navy, you know, boot camped out of me into the army but uh that's all right I, I i loved becoming an eod technician i loved the army i still love the navy and uh it was just a fantastic i was i was excited the entire time so it wasn't like i was, I was struggling at any point and when you know there's a great book the, the happiness advantage Yep, and yep. the the fulcrum and the lever, when you're you're having a good time, everything seems easier. True, true. I I don't want to focus too much on the situation around the injury that led you to you know lose your sight and your hearing as it is. What I'd rather do, if we could, is your your. You served as an EOD tech, you got hurt, you survived it. What I'd like to focus on the rest of our time is this aspect where you're you're in the state where you and you decided to make EOD fudge and this confectionery stuff, where all those lessons you learned from cooking to being the Navy to being happy and having that fulcrum led to your business now. Well, now uh, we've got multiple businesses, actually. Okay. Well, uh, I was just focused on the fudge. Well, <laughs> but tell me about the rest of the stuff. Uh, I mean, this is, I, I learned something new every day. You know, the, 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 um, you know, the truth is that, uh, it was it, after my injury, uh, you know, they, of course I couldn't do the, the job any longer. They did send me back to the schoolhouse so I could, uh, become an instructor for a while, at least until the uh, med board was through. Uh, but in the mean, meantime, I also began running, whitewater kayaking, mountain climbing, speaking, and realized that I didn't have anything more to prove anyway, so I, I didn't mind hanging up uh, the, the uniform. And I was doing I was doing pretty well for almost four years before the meningitis uh, nearly killed me. It was a complication from the the blast, and that's what took my hearing. So it was when I was just sitting after after getting out of the hospital for the second time, I'm just sitting at my breakfast bar, trapped in my body. Like the whole world ended at my fingertips, and I couldn't I couldn't get a message in. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, was writing every letter of every single word in, that she needed to say to me in the palm of my hand. Of course, capital block letters, like a good soldier. Uh, but uh, uh, that I, I needed to get busy at something. I needed to do something. All of the talking, 
uh, assisted technologies, the talking phone, the computers, all of it was muted, right? Wow. So all I could do, I could, and I actually lost my inner ear of balance, the vestibular balance uh, at the same time. And I couldn't even get on my treadmill. I started running marathons. In fact, just months prior to the meningitis, I run the Boston Marathon for the first time. Uh, so I'm there feeling sorry for myself. Really, you know, I've been speaking and talking about, uh, you know, triumph over tragedy and uh, success through struggle and all that kind of cool thing. And here I was, somebody, uh, so some greater power saying, put your money where your mouth is, prove it. And I'm just thinking, have I paid enough? You know, what, what if I had my fair share? What if I paid my dues? You know, uh, and it was, it was, you know, the exact opposite. It was going down this depressing spiral. And that's when I just kind of like did start doing the boohoo me. And I said, I got to get busy at something. So I knew that I could cook. I could still cook, even though I couldn't see what I was cooking. I couldn't even hear what I was cooking. I could still feel, taste, smell, and the holidays were coming. And I just decided we were going to throw this huge Thanksgiving feast. And I started making fudge well, way that, in advance. Because I'm looking on your website right now, and I'm like, you know what, Travis, you're trained. You shouldn't be looking at any of this stuff. And I was going to ask, how do you go from like cooking, cooking to to all this fudge and you kind of just answered it. it it is aaron this is this is artwork this this isn't this isn't like a cookie cutter candy company like you put some you put some love into this stuff like the ultimate colossal apple is i'm eyeballing that aaron that might have to find its way home but <laughs> what started happening when you started embracing fudge well the first thing that happened, in fact, my my wife said she noticed two things. One was that I was just cooking batch after batch, and I was she'd seen it the first first time in six months. She'd seen a smile on my face, and the other thing was the fudge was just piling up. I was having a good time, and I was just cooking, and. She started sneaking it out the front door. Like, it got to be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy. But she was giving it away. And people were coming back and asking if they could buy more. And the capitalist in me said, well, of course you may. And Extraordinary Delights or EODFudge.com just kind of happened. You know? You, know, you know, the thing that I liked the most when I bought the fudge from you, it, 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 the, it came in the mail, opened up, and there was like a little note about, you know, what you put into your work and, you know, thank you so much for buying it. You know, speaking of capitalism, you know, what's the business side of this like? Because I don't know personally a lot of veterans who who do stuff like this. It was uh, difficult. It was a learning process from the beginning because I'd, I'd never been uh, more than, you know, a W-2 employee until we decided we were just going to sell these things. And then it was, uh, you use cash 
and it was under the table first and it on first first sold batch batch of fudge that you know that we sold went out on our own platters like chinaware for a birthday party or a baby shower or something and so we didn't know what we were doing so we got online we ordered boxes and before you knew it like my garage it's it, we turned i turned that thing into a gym so i've got the treadmill i've got the rower i've got the stationary bike and now there's and then then there, there was the 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 um shrink wrap machine <laughs> uh but then we we learn you know rules about selling food uh, consumable you know, items and you know mail like d direct mail shipping uh, from state to state so inter you know interstate commerce type rules and then it was a accounting um you know creating entities and llc all this kind of stuff it was all a learning process and eventually we got to the point where it what we it wasn't we were getting we were getting enough sales through our website and word of mouth that we were actually doing enough volume that it wasn't like bake sale levels any longer and we had to move out of our own home kitchen and have a you know, an OSHA approved commercial kitchen and then it was that decision point where how do we do that do we like buy or rent at least a, a kitchen or what we found is we could do is hire a co-packer or a uh, a contract food manufacturer we we found a larger candy company that makes great stuff and they took my recipes and they do all of the cooking they do all of the packaging and shipping and I get to keep the home kitchen as the R&D lab. Oh, now, now what, one question, if I may, I have to ask this, because how are you not the size of a house, Aaron? Because I don't know if I was making my own, and, and let me tell you that the fudge was fire, brother. The fudge was absolutely fire. Like, you know, I'm like thinking to myself, Travis, if you had this in your kitchen every day, you'd be three times the size you are now. And I'm not a small guy, Aaron. How do you stay so fit and trim cooking fudge, Aaron? It doesn't seem fair. <laughs> well, uh, it, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, but I love to run and I love to be outside. And like I'd mentioned earlier, before the, uh, before the meningitis and going deaf, I'd, I'd run a few marathons and a few of them qualified me for Boston. And then uh, after, after I went deaf and lost my balance and I was started cooking. Yeah. I also started gaining a little bit of weight and I, it was, it was another one of those decision points where I said, I, I need to do something about this. And I got back on the treadmill and I held on with that, with the iron grip and I just hit the quick start to like 0.5 miles an hour. And I'd start walking. And then I would hit the little button and go a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And before long, I was running again. And uh, I, I went deaf in September of 2015. 
in September of 2016, I ran my hometown uh, of Akron. I ran the Akron Marathon. Uh, it was also my high school 20th reunion. And so I went back to my hometown and ran my comeback marathon, which also qualified me again for Boston. And I've been running ever since. Now I'm doing ultra marathons. So <laughs> half my day is spent on the treadmill or out on the road with a you know, running guide, running partners. And um, I try to keep the, like I said, the R&D. I try not to do that too much right. because right. of course you got to taste your product. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in, in the, in the time we have left, uh, just two things, you, you know, you look at your website, I, I've watched some of your interviews on, on TV and there's this message of, you, you know, I, I think you said it best earlier, the happiness and the fulcrum, you know, is, is it a challenge to stay in your state of happiness throughout all the challenges you face daily? It's in how you perceive your challenges. Okay. Because our life is, our life is, hardship is inevitable. Challenges are going to happen no matter what. You're, you're going to end up with a blown tire or, you know, going to be in the hospital. You're going to lose a family member. Things are going to happen in your life. And you can either look at it as, this difficulty that you have to suffer so that you can finally get around it or through it or whatever and just make it out on the other side. Or you can look at it as an opportunity to learn and grow. And every time I find a new challenge, I try to keep that, that perspective. Is like, how is this going to make me better how is this instead of happening instead of this happening to me why is this happening for me and not only what can i learn from it what can i learn from it that i can teach one of my favorite sayings i have no idea where it came from but somebody somebody said you know your uh the story of your struggle might be someone else's blueprint for survival. And I've just been blessed with this incredible story. And and I know this because I've been told that it's helped uh, quite, quite a few lives. So that that makes me uh, that makes me feel great that I can I can help others just by telling them that it'll be okay that I am I'm feeling you know I have an incredibly rewarding life I've got a wife three amazing sons you know I've got this business uh, you know an active lifestyle it's it's a wonderful life and it's because I've I've accepted the life's hardships and the difficulties and I choose to grow from them, not just endure them. I, I think that message right there comes through very clearly in, in your cooking and, and, you know, what you 
have EOD Fudge all about. It's not just a fudge company. It, it is that way of, of facing life's challenges. And so we'll close with this. How can people, besides the obvious, find EOD Fudge to order your amazing creations, Aaron? Well, they can go right to the website, eodfudge.com. I will have that link in the Oscar Mike Radio website post. Look, folks, take it from me because I like to eat probably more than you do, Aaron. Just just guessing here. But uh, I, I enjoyed the fudge. You will, too. And I want to have you back on. If you go up to Boston for the marathon, uh, I'm in the Boston area. would definitely love to come meet you in person. And I just want to thank you for your flexibility and candor today talking with me. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Travis. Absolutely. Until next time, we're Mission Flight. Thank you very much. Join us on National Wreaths Across America Day, December 16th, 2023. Each December on National Wreaths Across America Day, our mission to remember, honor, and teach is carried out by coordinating wreath-laying ceremonies at Arlington National Cemetery, as well as more than 3,700 additional locations in all 50 states, at sea and abroad. Join us by sponsoring a veteran's wreath at a cemetery near you, volunteering, or donating to a local sponsor group. Thank you for listening and watching Oscar Mike Radio, where our active duty service members and veterans are in action and the mission is in flight. If you are a veteran or know a veteran who needs help, please dial 998 and press 1 for the Veterans Crisis Line.